podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini, represented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, it's been so long since I've had Chris Stone on the podcast. He's been big time in me with his job. He's been so busy. But I'm pumped that this quarantine, this coronavirus outbreak has left him indoors and given him nothing else to do but to come on my podcast. So, Chris, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, learning to adjust to life on the inside only uh, and, and not making it outside to uh, catch a terrible virus. Yeah, I, I uh, just yesterday got my b- exercise bike delivered that I bought on mm. Sunday. And after this, I am going to pop on a movie, get on this bike for like two hours and be very happy with my life because I have not gone for a workout in the last like six days and my body is dying. Yeah, that seems like a really productive thing to do during this time. I actually, uh, a friend of mine accidentally ordered a Peloton the other day. Oh, um, no. Like a drunken <laughs> Peloton order? No, he just wanted to see how much it costs uh, to ship. <laughs> and apparently just accidentally clicked order. <laughs> um, yeah. It's unclear thing if thing to accidentally order. Yeah, it's unclear if he is canceled, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> you can accidentally order a Peloton. <laughs> And sometimes you just end up with one. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, good. exactly. Exactly. At these times, it seems like a good thing to have around. Oh, uh, yeah, it really is. I am pumped to try out this exercise bike. I also, like, when I was putting it together, because I had to put the whole thing together, I I don't know if I screwed up putting the pedals on or if the, there was, like, a malfunction in okay. the, like, pedal machinery or not. But, like, you're supposed to attach them, like, you're supposed to push them all the way through, screw them all the way through, and then on the other side, there's, like, a little um, turny thingy, we'll call it, for lack of a better yeah, word, yeah. that is supposed to lock noted, it in place. But Noted carpentry podcast over here. Yes, right? And I couldn't get the screw to go all the way through, so I just am kind of leaving it and assuming that it's not going to come undone because it's, like, pretty stuck in there. So if I end up injuring myself, like, if you hear a story of me going to the hospital, it's not going to be for coronavirus because I'm not leaving my apartment. It is going to be because I'm a fucking moron and (laughs) injured myself on a stationary exercise bike. I feel like you probably wouldn't be the only person to do something like that. Like there, there has to be some number of these things that just fall apart over the course of a year. So Uh, that's very true. So Chris, we're going to talk about two things on this podcast today. We're sponsored by Coors Light. Uh, The first thing we're going to talk about is Kansas and the national title because Kansas uh, is your alma mater. And Kansas is the thing that I enjoy making jokes about most of all in this world. So we're going to talk about that. (laughs) And we're going to talk about the NBA draft because that's what you do with the sporting news. You cover the NBA draft. So the first thing, let's talk about Kansas. Let's talk about this national title thing. So for the last like three weeks, it has been a bit for me to just start like making jokes about Kansas hanging a banner regardless of what happens uh, the rest of the season just because I thought it would be funny and then the tournament gets canceled and they're very clearly the number one team. Like, they're number one across all metrics. They're number one in the polls. Like, I badly want Kansas to hang a banner at their, like, Midnight Madness or whatever that looks like next year in the wake of coronavirus. And I want them to bring back Snoop Dogg. I want – uh, let's say Oshai Agbaji, because he'll probably be back next year. Uh, I want Oshai to climb up one of the stripper poles that Snoop <laughs> brings back 
for his performance, and I want him to unravel the banner. Is this too much to ask? I mean, I don't think so. I was a big proponent of the idea of the NCAA having to give Kansas a trophy in the first place, like in the last year that they would probably be allowed to play in an NCAA tournament for some period of time, assuming things go kind of as expected for them. Would have been so great. Yeah, I'm – Uh, That's, like, the worst part of the tournament to me. Like, other than obviously it would be cool if Kansas won because I'm an alumni and it's really fun for them to win things. Uh, The prospects of them winning and just the the nature of that situation would have been hysterical to me. So I'm willing to accept as a replacement getting to hang a banner for a national championship that didn't exist um, and and pursuing your, your plan. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that Kansas has hung a national championship banner for not winning the NCAA tournament. They hang two Helms title banners. So like, whatever seems fine to me. It's also stupid. (laughs) Like I want so many more teams just be aggressive. Like UCF does and hang a national championship banner just for the fuck of it. I want like (laughs) Kennesaw state to hang. No, because Kennesaw state got eliminated. Like who's a, who's a team in the Southland. I want like Lamar to hang a national championship banner because theoretically they never got eliminated from their conference tournament and thus are uh, possibly NCAA champions still. Yeah. That's all I want. I want as many teams as possible. Yeah. If you were eligible to win the national title, like you get a banner and you can claim it. Why not? And nothing would be better than Kansas's just because of (laughs) all of this, or would it be better for them to hang it? on the night that that dumbass HBO documentary, The Scheme, I'm very like, excited goes live, that, by the way. what would that be? March 29th, I think it comes out. Like, yeah, everyone I, I know has seen it. Um, but, very like, excited. I want them to hang the banner on March 29th in honor of The Scheme coming out. By the way, HBO naming this The Scheme <laughs> and basing an entire documentary on Christian Dawkins, who is, like, based off of what the NBPA has uh, said, a liar who, like, stole $11,000 <laughs> from Alfred Payton. Like, what in the world Dude, are we doing money. here? It's going to be so good. I also can't believe – I mean, I don't think, if I remember right, Dawkins didn't have a lot of associations with Kansas. I don't think. But it's hilarious to me that the scheme is coming out and Kansas appears to be, like, not – involved in this at all like it's Will Wade and Sean Miller and those guys and then you just sort of have Kansas who's like the NCAA's target in this investigation just like hanging out not involved just chilling seemingly not involved yeah we you know we didn't know anything we were a victim that's what the government said it's fine (laughs) no Bill Self didn't know nothing it's all good yeah we're good oh man I'm I'm here for all of this I am here for all of the very angry media members about oh, like bullshit that just doesn't matter, right? Like <laughs> everyone is so mad. Like it, I, I didn't even really know the banner thing was like a big deal. Obviously, I had like heard about it and people had asked self about it, and so I had seen that. But um, it's just a total bit for me. Like yeah. I never have taken this seriously. Like Myron actually was serious and tweeted it, and that was his first right. mistake was getting serious about something this stupid. And I like Myron a lot. Like I was making jokes with Myron about it today. Sure. Like that was the first mistake. But even he like serious. even he walked it back and was like, "Dude, I'm just sitting here watching old WCW pay per views." on the WWE network and just was like thinking and was like, Hey, what about this? <laughs> People were like, right. How dare you? 
the NCAA tournament is sacred. And it's like, man, the NCAA tournament is awesome and really cool and really fun. It's also the dumbest way to decide a champion that, like, possibly exists in sports. But, like, whatever, it exists, and that's why people like college basketball, so it's totally okay. But it's, like, not absurd to suggest that, like, finding a champion via other means is totally insane. It's just, like, we don't because it's college basketball and the tournament is sacred. Well, like, here's the thing, too. Like, Kansas – is so far ahead this year in terms of Ken Palmer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, ridiculous. They're like four points clear of any other team. That is, if not the biggest gap, I think that like Villanova had a four point gap in one of their title seasons. Yeah. Like, I can't really remember a season where a team had a four point efficiency margin gap on the field. Basically, it's Kansas is like the difference between Kansas and Gonzaga. At number two is the difference between Gonzaga and I think like Ohio, Ohio State. State. At eight. Yeah. It's yeah, just I, not even close. Like they are so far and away the best team that it's like they might not have won the title just because, you know, once you get into one game elimination scenarios, right. uh, you know, every game is basically once you get to the Sweet 16, basically like a it, it, it best for the team that's a favorite, like a 65% chance to win. Right. So, like, you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I spent, like, basically the entire set of conference season pretty heavily championing Kansas as the best team in the country by a pretty wide margin, and that's, like, kind of when their efficiency margin went up. They were, like, totally uninteresting early in the year, and then once Self did, like, the obvious thing of not playing two bigs and then, like, right. actually coached up his defense, like, they were just far and away, I think, the best team in the country. So. I get why people have raised the possibility of just declaring them a national champion, but I also understand why that makes people mad. And so, who knows? It's just hilarious to me, period. Yeah, no, I'm all for just making jokes about this. Yeah. I just want Mark Emmer to have to come and yeah, get he the banner down the himself. Yes. I want, no, I want Bill Self in a press conference to be like, Mark, if you want to come get the banner, you come take it down yourself. <laughs> And you bring a ladder yourself. And I want to see a video of Mark Emmert climbing a ladder at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Having <laughs> to down the banner. Take down a banner for Kansas. This is what well, I demand. It'd be, it'd be so good. And it would be after the, like, probably after all of the rulings on the FBI stuff, too. So, like, maybe Bill Self wouldn't even be there. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, look, we're all quarantined inside right now. And if you're not, you should be. Shout out those kids on spring break because Lord, that is terrifying to me. Like I was thinking about that. Were you one of those people that would have been out there uh, like at spring break, even like partying in the middle of the pandemic? I, I like to think that I wouldn't have been, but I also like am from Kansas and like there were tornadoes five miles away and we were playing beer pong in the garage when I was in college. So like, I don't know that we would have traveled during that type of situation, but, like, certainly we've done stupid things in in the event of natural events. Um, But, like, the video of the kids in Miami was unbelievable and ridiculous. Like, oh, man, we've been planning this for two months. Like, we have to be at spring break. I'd like to think I would be better than that. (laughs) That's what I like to think, too. And I'm, like, enough of a worrier about things to where I think that I probably wouldn't have gone, even if my friend's gone, had gone. But I can't guarantee it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I I can offer somewhat of an analogy. Like, I was supposed to be in Vegas starting today for the tournament, and I was pretty certain 
maybe a week and a half to two weeks ago that I was going to cancel that trip, um, kind of before everybody else had come around to canceling it, and certainly before the casinos all shut down there. Yeah. Um, so at least, like, nowadays, I think I would have avoided uh, doing it. But, Certainly in your 30s. Like now, 100%, yeah. I would have avoided it. But, but before, like, know, t- 10 years ago, who knows? It's I was pretty dumb when I was 21. <laughs> like, I was yeah, exactly. pretty fucking dumb. So, exactly. like, I don't know. But here's the thing. We're all stuck inside. There has never been a better time to get a mountain cold refreshment like Coors Light. It's made to chill. Coors Light is brewed with a three-step cold process. It's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. So it's actually made to chill the mountains on Coors Light's cold activated bottles and cans turn blue when chilled to perfection. Born in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado in 1978, Coors Light is refreshing, crisp, and only 102 calories. Look, Coors Light is the beer I choose when there's a game on or whenever I have to just hang out here and watch a movie after I bike. So Coors Light is absolutely the beer that you should be choosing in these circumstances. Look, you need to celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, that's where it's brewed. It's absolutely terrific. Please just make sure you celebrate responsibly during these times of pandemic and during these times of quarantine. So, Chris, let's get into what I think is going to be the meat of this podcast. We're going to talk about the NBA draft. And I haven't talked to you a ton about the draft this year, so I don't know where we are on players and, like, how close we are on players. Because, like, when Cole and I were doing this earlier in the year, like, Cole and I largely had very similar opinions on this. So I'll be interested to see if you kind of feel the same as I do on a lot of guys. Where are you on the number one overall pick? Because I feel like I've gotten basically five different names whenever I ask NBA executives. Um, so right now I'm still on Anthony Edwards. I'm not excited about being on Anthony Edwards, but uh, I think any of the viable options are not particularly good this year. And so it's sort of his position by default. And given that most of the other guys weren't playing, um, it was hard to imagine someone like really surpassing him easily. Yep. Um, But I'm not like excited about him as a number one pick or the potential that he has. Like he was kind of bad as a college player. Um, if you look up guys, I mean, he was fine, but like, if you look up guys who have his usage rate and his efficiency numbers as a scorer, like you're not going to find dudes who turned out to be stars. So here's, here would be my case as to why that is just slightly, um, I don't want to say misleading because it's not like his numbers are what his numbers are, but like, you know, Georgia this year is a team shot. I want to say it was like 29.9% from three. And Anthony Edwards was a part of that. He shot like 30% from three himself. But a lot of what Edwards does is drive to the paint and finish, right? And Mm -hmm. he was really good as a finisher this year, even in spite of not having any space to operate, right? Like we talked a lot about Cole Anthony having zero space to operate at North Carolina. It was basically the same deal for Anthony Edwards. And good. The fact that he was able to score in the way that he was, even with the inefficiency, gives me hope that when he gets into a more spaced out NBA scheme, that his power athleticism and his quickness and his shiftiness 
is actually going to play up a little bit. And I, I think, like, he's a shooter. Like, I'm not worried about the shot. I think he's sure. going to be, like, a 35% three-point shooter, even though he's shot 30% from three. Uh, he just takes a million tough shots per game because yep. there's no one else around him. Yeah, I mean, if you have a guy who shot nine threes per 40 and 77% from the foul line, like, that guy's probably going to shoot it okay uh, at right. the next level, like, at least at an average clip. So I, I don't have a ton of concerns from that perspective either. Uh, I do agree that, like, the spacing thing is a real concern. It's kind of interesting to me that we have multiple of those guys this year. You mentioned Cole Anthony as another one of those guys where it's like, you can bet on these guys because of the things that we know that they're good at, but you're also hinging a lot of their potential stardom on the fact that there has to be some translation question that exists between college and the NBA where having a more spread out floor, having better spacing leads to them being good at various other things. And I don't know, like I tend to be a little more pessimistic in that regard, I think, than some people. Um, yeah, but I also, for sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I also understand the, the reasons for optimism because I do think like it is a real concern that existed at Georgia. It is a real concern that existed at North Carolina. And like, you know, it's certainly feasible to see paths for those guys to be more successful in the NBA than they were in college due to their situation. Yeah, definitely. And the thing about Anthony Edwards that I just keep going back to is the, like, I think he's basically a top five pick in a normal draft. Um, yeah. but this is just not a normal draft, right? So, like, I agree with you. I have him at number one, but I've gotten evaluators tell me they really like LaMelo Ball. I've gotten evaluators tell me James Wiseman. I've gotten uh, Denny of Dia. And I've gotten Obi Toppin from a couple guys, too, that really value production and just being the best fucking player in the country, right? So it's wide open. Like, it's really going to depend on who gets the pick. Honestly, when the lottery is, because I don't – like, I've been kind of told that – you know, we shouldn't necessarily expect the combine and lottery combination deal that typically happens the same week every year to be similar to what it's been in the past. So I don't know what it's going to look like, man. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. And I think that uh, it's going to depend on who gets the pick at number one as to who ends up being the guy that is uh, that is selected at number one overall. Yeah, I think that's true. And and I don't think that there's like a drastic difference between any of the people that you mentioned necessarily. I don't think I would take Obi number one just because I think it's hard to imagine Obi having a ton of superstar equity. Um, like he just doesn't really play a position in which that exists like for him. Um, it depends on if you think he's like a pure four, if you, th- yeah. or if you think he's like a five. I tend to think his best minutes are probably going to be at the five. Um, and that creates defensive issues because sure. he's not a great rim protector. But you're also just going to get such a ridiculous marginal advantage of having him at the five. Like if I'm Golden State, for instance, and I'm getting Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson back, I'm getting Draymond Green hopefully back to like his full operating potential, right? Sure. I have this massive trade exception, and if I have to take one uh, one guy, right, if I can't get good yeah. value for the pick on the trade market – I'm probably thinking that I'm going to take Obi Toppin and just be like, okay, maybe he can't close lineups for us this year, but I think he's close enough to be able to close lineups for us next year. And the combination of him and Draymond Green is very interesting as a front court because of their ability to play both inside and out. Yeah, I, I still, I guess, just don't get it. Like, in that position his best value is as a floor spacer. Like, you don't want him in those lineups using 20% of your offensive possessions, right? Like, those possessions are going to Stephen Clay and not to Obi Toppin. And so, 
that sure, value to me just like isn't necessarily there, and it feels like there's a bunch. Of, I mean, I don't want to say a bunch of other dudes who could fill that role, but like if your goal is just have a center who can shoot in that spot, I, I don't feel like that's like worthy of a number one pick. I certainly understand the theory behind it and why it makes some sense, but just like I am hopefully looking for more out of a number one pick in terms of potential upside to be someone who can carry an offense than that. Yeah, and personally, I would take Anthony Edwards, but I get that case for Obi yeah. Toppin, at least. I do too. Right? I, I understand the argument. It's just not one that like really fits with how I see the draft and and expected value out of, of certain picks. Right, in certain positions as well, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I think that we should talk about James Wiseman as well, just because – and let, let's just close the loop on Obi Toppin real quick. Like, sure. Obi Toppin, to me, for instance, like in Golden State, what you could do is you could run, like, a lot of stagger screen um, sets with Steph out top that are basically going to be impossible to guard because you can either, you know, pop Obi Toppin out and let Draymond short roll, and then you cause all sorts of issues whenever mm-hmm. teams have to overplay Steph on the uh, second, coming around the second screen. Uh, you can roll Obi Toppin to the basket and play, like, dribble handoff game with Draymond Green. There's just, like, a lot of different shit that I think you could do with those guys that makes it, like, very lethal offensively. Like, he could be – like more athletic Harrison Barnesy almost, and like you know more of like a four than a three like Harrison is. Sure, yeah, and I don't mean to come down on Obi too hard. Like he's someone that I had ninth on the board that I released this week. I think he's a really interesting player. I think he's really yeah. really good. Like he knocks down threes in more ways than just off the catch, which is like really useful and interesting skill for someone his size to have. It's just that I don't quite get the justification for taking him above some of these other guys who have uh, a little more equity to be stars. Yeah, and I totally get that. I think that's totally reasonable. So let's talk about James Wiseman in that regard. Do you see James Wiseman as being a potential star? And I guess that where we should start this is by my asking you, like, how much of James Wiseman have you seen prior to the three-game college sample? Uh, Not a ton, but... I feel like I have a reasonable grasp on his, like, archetype as a player and some of the things that he does well. And in terms of just, like, star stuff, I guess it sort of begs the question of what qualifies, because if Rudy Gobert qualifies, then the answer is, like, yeah, probably Wiseman can be something to that effect in terms of being a great defensive anchor who provides, you know, a large percentage of his value on that end, but is also just, like, not a disaster offensively. If the question is, like, can Wiseman be a centerpiece offensive center, like, I have a really really hard time getting to that position. Yeah, I definitely don't think he's that. I think he's, like, elite-level defensive prospect that can be a great rim runner and actually has potential to pop and – or hit, like, trailer threes, or pop above the break and knock down threes, right? Uh, It's going to take some time for him to get there as well. Like, he's definitely not there yet. But if he can get there, you combine relatively modern offensive center skill set with elite-level defensive center, that's probably a star at this level, right? Like, and that's probably... Yeah, I mean, it's certainly... Exactly. Exactly, yeah. In this draft, like... That's good enough to qualify as a star type player. Um, the only question I guess you have to ask yourself is if those are the types of players you want to be building around if your goal is to win a title. For me, not necessarily. I do still have Weissman as a top five guy in the class just because 
like I would still take him as someone who could lead a team deeper into the playoffs, right? I don't know that he's ever on a roster that wins a title, but that in well, the stress is probably okay. And he's still really, really good. Could be a defensive player of the year. And like, you know, there's two like things that. that you need to be able to believe in with him first. And this is like for him to be like a title piece, sure. right? Um, you need to be able to believe that he can defend in space. Yeah. And we've seen mixed things there. I would say, even as someone who has seen him at lower levels and have seen him, you know, probably operate in more ball screens than a lot of people outside of NBA front offices. Sure. I have some questions on that. Like, I don't think he's quite as flexible as like a Clint Capella. Um, yeah. Not quite as like quick twitch, but he's very fluid and he's more like a, um, like a gazelle than like a lion. In terms of, like, a lion, you think of a guy, of an animal that just, like, snaps and, like, can just, like, eat your face very quickly. Whereas, like, a gazelle is, like, kind of floating out there and just is um, able to move at, like, the same speed all the time, right? Yeah. And I think that that's more what Wiseman is. And the second part of this is it depends on how quickly you think you can get him to the point where he's a starter. Because if you take him at three or four, you're paying him like $6 million a year. You're paying him, I think it's like a $28 million contract over four years. And if you get a starter in year two or three, you have a bit of a window to be able to win a title that way. That's true. If you're yeah. closer, because he's going to be a little bit cheaper then. But if you think he's a little bit farther away, I do agree with you that in terms of team building, there is a question there because James Wiseman is not necessarily someone that I would want to throw $30 million into as a player, probably. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, he's someone who I don't mind as a, a Warriors suggestion. Like, I think that there's a chance that he could at least play sufficient minutes for them in the short term. Um, I don't know if he's, like, starter in name, but, like, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. And they're a team that is consistently like to kind of just have a rotating cast of centers at not expensive prices. The problem for them, obviously, like, becomes what happens when you have to pay him. You know, that's a problem for down so, the road if it were to be them. So I guess I'll just ask you where you want to go next. Um, hmm. So people that I'm probably a little further off than some other people on are Killian Hayes and Tyrese Halliburton, both of whom I like a lot and have in the top five. I have Killian Hayes at five right now. I'd probably have him at six because I'd probably move him a little bit below Toppin. But uh, okay. I do really like Killian Hayes quite a bit. I'm basically right there with you. Yeah, I think he's really interesting. And just in terms of talking about guys in this class who I think are likely to be good, he's someone who I think is likely to be good. Like, I don't know that he's a star, um, but I do think, like, change of pace, high IQ, definite ability to pass. I think that he has a decent chance to be a reasonable shooter from outside, despite having pretty poor numbers there this season. Like, just someone who I think, can fit in and do a lot of things at the NBA level and fits in a lot of places as, as a roster guy. And then, you know, sort of as a byproduct has a little upside potentially as a primary guy. So with Hayes, the big thing is that he has the best, I think as a live dribble passer, I think he, it's basically him and LaMelo ball in a class of their own. And that's it in this class. Uh, he is just able to make every single pass from every single angle, regardless of where he is on the floor. He's great at that cross-corner kick. He's great at throwing lobs. He has perfect touch. He has little pocket passes to rollers. 
he just has every single little thing that you look for in a passer. He also has great change of pace. He's poised for the most part. Early in the season this year in Germany, I think that you saw the gears turning in his brain a little bit, mm-hmm. and he struggled with turnovers. But he's figured that aspect of his game out as well, which I think is incredibly important for him. The big question for me is that he's not like a crazy athlete. And these guys that aren't crazy athletes really need to be able to shoot to keep defenders off balance. So he's going to need the shot. Otherwise, I think he's, you know, a low-end starter, probably. Yeah, I mean, 100%. You have to buy into the shot being something that's real. I think the fact that he gets to take, you know, three threes per game in 24 minutes is, is a sign that people believe in his ability to take that shot, which is really good. It's a number that, you know, translates in terms of some of the statistical analysis we've seen about projectable shooting and the fact that he shoots 87% from the foul line and has done that for a couple of years suggests that there's like definitely something there in terms of the shot. Maybe he needs to get stronger. Maybe he needs to tweak the form just a little bit or something like that. But I I would bet on him being able to shoot whether or not he can do that as a dynamic creator and do it off the jump or off the dribble maybe remains a little bit of a question, but like, you know, the likelihood that he shoots it at least certainly as a catch and shoot guy, I think is pretty high. Um, And, you know, that's, that's a lot of value if he can do that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, you wanted to bring up Tyrese Halliburton as well. You've been high on Halliburton since last year. I know that. Yeah. I Halliburton's fascinating because the numbers are exceptional, and there yeah. are going to be teams that draft him just based off of that. And the tape is less so when you watch I, him. Like it, you just really wonder how all of those pieces work together at the next level. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, I don't disagree with any of that sentiment. Like the numbers are exceptional. The tape is a little weird. The jumper is a little weird. It's slow. Just has some concerns in terms of release time, not necessarily the best pull-up translation. The athleticism, like you have probably said about Killian Hayes and, and others, is not necessarily there. Um, I, I think just, like, this is a place where I'm very willing to buy into the statistics on a guy. Like, he is just so good from a numbers perspective that it's hard for me to imagine he doesn't turn into at least a useful rotation player in the NBA. Like, let's say that he turns into Lonzo Ball, except I think Halliburton is probably more likely as a catch-and-shoot guy to knock down shots. Like, if you got a version of Lonzo Ball in this draft that was, like, a pretty good, slightly above-average three-point shooter, I think you'd be really happy in the top five. I agree. I think that the thing that worries me with Halliburton, though, is that he is not as athletic as Lonzo. Yeah, that's a fair concern. That's a fair concern. Uh, and a lot of what Lonzo is capable of doing at the NBA level is kind of based off of his athleticism and being – like he's not a crazy athlete by NBA standards, but he's an average athlete by NBA standards. Like he can get up and dunk. He can oh uh, sure really move like in the open floor. And Halliburton isn't really that. He's definitely uh, more of a guy that relies on like change of pace. He's also not – like Lonzo is obviously not shifty at all, but – Halliburton is also not particularly shifty in a way that worries me. Yeah, I I think that's an understandable concern. I guess I just view him as someone who I think is extremely likely to find a role at the NBA level in some capacity. Like, even if his, like, I think he's a really great passer, even if that passing ability is just used as a connective piece in a roster to, like, facilitate, you know, passes or hockey assists to other guys and things like that. Like, that's super valuable to me. I think it's very likely that he's, a high-quality team defender at the next level. I think it's pretty likely that he shoots a, a high clip on catch-and-shoots. Like, I would I say I, the, I think the defense is overrated. 
Um, it's a fair concern. You talk I think to, you wrote about that at one point. I did, yeah. You talk to coaches around you know the Big 12 that have played him, and they felt pretty good about going at him. And part sure. of it was like, you know, he's just not super strong yet, and right. he'll get strength. And part of it is this year particularly, he had to conserve energy, right? Yeah. But they felt pretty good about just, like, attacking him. And if you go back yeah. and watch, because I went back and watched after, it was like, oh, okay. This is <laughs> not... Top CC. Yeah. Yeah, so. I, I don't know that I'm I buy him as a 1v1 like, guy. Like, I think yeah, he's much I'm better as, like, a team construct guy. Who Right. Yeah, he's not a bad defender. He knows where to be, and he gets into passing lanes, and he's very reactive. Yes. I just am a little bit worried about teams trying to take advantage of him a little bit. Yeah, that's a fair concern, I think, to have, and and it's definitely a worry. Those are just, like, two guys that I think are very likely to be contributors, and I have a lot more questions about some of the other guys on the list and their potential roles in the NBA than I do about those two. Uh, and so, so I'll ask you about Tyrese Maxey. Let's talk about both Tyrese's real quick. Sure. So I think Tyrese is a – I think Tyrese Maxey – holy shit, I can't just refer to one of these guys <laughs> as Tyrese here. Tyrese. Literally the only guys in, like, NBA draft history where this is the case. <laughs> um, I think Maxey is a better defender than Halliburton. Okay. And the funny thing is that even though Halliburton shot 42% from three this year – and Tyrese Maxey shot 29% from three. I believe in Maxey more as a shooter than I do Tyrese Halliburton. Interesting. Um, I don't know that I would believe in him more as just a pure shooter than Halliburton, but I think he's probably a – well, I know for sure I think that he's a, a much more dynamic shooter than Halliburton is. Like, I think Maxey yes. is someone who is very likely to be able to get a shot off the dribble, um, yes. and Halliburton is not necessarily somebody who I think will be able to, that, to do that. Um, I have Maxi six right now. I think that there's potentially an argument to have Maxi above that. He's someone that I would be interested in going back and watching a little more film of and trying to figure out, like, is he someone in this draft who is underrated from a potential, like, primary creator standpoint? Because those are really the guys you want to find in, in, in drafts. And I do think Maxi, like, has the potential to be that. So, so it's hard because I don't think he has that kind of burst. To be able to do that. And like, I don't think he's explosive enough in and out of his moves. Like he uses his change of pace really well and he's a very good hesitation player, but I think you can recover based off of that. Now, the one thing he does have going for him is that when you do recover, he has a very quick release, efficient floater game that is going to be very hard to recover too. But I think that I look at Maxi more as almost like a... I don't want to say like three and D, but maybe like shot creator in D kind of player, like okay. not a guy that is going to be your primary shot creator. I think you're almost always going to want to play him with another point guard, but you can play him maybe with like a distribution heavy point guard and have him be the guy that tries to get shots at the end of shot clocks and have him be the guy that takes on the tough defensive side. Yeah. That gets a little more sketchy to me given his size, like, if I have to play someone with another point guard, I'd probably rather that be Halliburton, although I think of him more as a shooting guard style type anyway. Um, I get that, but like Tyrese is, I mean, Tyrese might have 30 pounds on, <laughs> Maxi might have 30 pounds on Halliburton. Yeah, that might be true. That might be true. I will say I was a little surprised to see today, um, Maxi's only had three of his 38 attempts or makes at the half court 
uh, at the rim assisted, which I thought was a really interesting number just because that's incredibly yeah. low for what you would expect to see for a guy who, you know, played really any, yeah, played off ball a bunch and really any college player, frankly. Um, so I thought that was interesting and a, a nice bolster to the idea of him being able to score at multiple levels in the, at the next level. And so, um, I don't know, just someone that I think is worth looking back on because those are the types of guys you really want to find, and maybe he could be that. I don't think there are and a lot of those guys in this class, and so he's one of the few at that level who I think it's, like, maybe worth a shot. And he's just, like, an absolutely elite-level human being as well, so, like, that yeah. stuff helps for yeah. sure. Definitely. Um, are you on – there's, like, this Onyeka Akongwu uh, hive kind yeah, of thing that's forming the on the internet, and I'm not – like, I like him a lot, and I think he's probably the second-best defensive prospect in this class. I'm not 100% clear what you do with him on offense other than throwing him in the short corner or asking him to screen and roll. Yeah, I'm not in the hive. Um, I kind of don't get it either. Um, like, do you have him in the top 10? I do. I think I had him. 10. Yeah, I have him. I have him enough. <laughs> so, like, so, we are fans. We are where, like, NBA teams that I've talked to. Yeah, I just sort of don't get it. Like, and and to be clear, the hive that we're talking about who really like him are people who really like the idea of finding primary initiators and creators and those types of guys in the draft, seemingly, or at least a couple years ago did. And, like, Okongu is, like, not that dude, I don't think. Like, I really just yeah. don't get it. <laughs> I think you have no, to think he, of him like similar to Wiseman. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I'm not spending a top five pick to take bigger mantras Harrell. I'm sorry. Like, that just doesn't interest me very much. I don't know. It's actually a good question. If Montrez Harrell – actually, I probably would consider it, given that Montrez Harrell's averaging, like, 20 points a game. Yeah. Defense. Like, if you had a very good defensive Montrez Harrell, that is almost certainly worth a top five pick. I mean, I guess if you know that's who they're going to be, but I don't right. know that – it's a guarantee that a Kongu is even that, frankly. Like, On offense, I agree with you, yeah. Yeah, I just don't – I don't know. I get the face-up game. I get the idea that he's a really good pick-and-roll diver. He's athletic enough to get up in those situations, but, like, he's also 6'9", and there's going to be probably some translation issues from a height perspective to the next level. He might not be 6'9". Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just – I don't. I just sort of don't get the idea because I think if if you value him as a top five pick in this draft, I guess you have to think that he is defensively equivalent to James Wiseman, which I guess is in play. Like he's a solid rim protector. He's more switchable probably than Wiseman is. Yep, definitely but, more switchable than Wiseman is. He is like he's actually like kind of a stud in space. I think. Yeah, but like I don't get the offensive upside that I think a lot of people are assigning to him. I I, I just don't like. It's just not there for me. It's not like he was, like, bombing threes either. I don't know. Yeah, you really – I think you have to buy into the shot, and I think you have to buy into the size not being an issue. And yeah. I don't know that I'm there on either of those things. Like, if I'm Minnesota, I probably consider him at, like, four or five. Because yeah. putting him next to Carl Towns seems like exactly what Carl Towns needs to thrive. Yeah, that makes some sense to me as a, as a potential landing spot. I don't mind that at all. But if I am – Trying to think. The Cavaliers. Like if I'm the Cavs, yeah, that's actually who I mocked them to in my updated mock draft because, like, I just assume that, like, Andre Drummond is going to yeah. be there. No, I'm, um, I'm mocking them James Weissman, so, like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> but, like, if I'm, you know, if I'm Atlanta, I'm not taking him. No. Yeah. And I have Clint Capella and I have John Collins. Like, yeah. you could theoretically say, like, oh, he's defensive John Collins. And you could maybe play the two together, but I would want someone with more size. 
Yeah. Like Clint or if you're the Pistons. Pistons just need everything, so sure. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, the problem with the Pistons okay. is, too, I can see a world where the Pistons decide to, like, short-circuit this thing again and sign free agents this summer and take a high yeah. draft pick and try and make the playoffs next year. And that, like, you have Blake Griffin, you have Derrick Rose, who was good this year. Like, sure. that's a bad idea, but it wouldn't stun me if that ends up being a thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's reasonable. I don't know. I just I don't get it with them. I understand the argument, but it just doesn't. Make well, you sense. get it, but like you're just not in on like top five pick Isaac or uh, Onyeka Kongwu. Yeah, but you were about to say Isaac Okora, and I also don't think he's a top five pick. And there are definitely a bunch of people who think he's a top five pick too. So you know. Yeah, I have him at eight right now, and I am a big fan of his because he's a winner and yeah. because he is. Uh, a guy who just makes those like little plays that really fucking matter in the way that basketball is played now. He defends across the board. He's strong enough to like bang with fives if necessary. He is an elite level above the rim finisher. He's a great cutter. I think he can actually drive and finish at the basket. He has really good body control for such a power athlete. Is yeah. he better than Miles Bridges? Probably not. <laughs> Yeah, probably not, and less likely to shoot it than Miles Bridges was. I think that they're pretty similar, to be honest. You can maybe make a case that Okoro has better body control and shiftiness than Bridges did, and thus like maybe has a little bit more on-ball potential, but Bridges was definitely a better shooter. So, yeah. And Okoro's a better defender, too. He's probably like a slightly better prospect than Miles Bridges. I don't know that I'd get to that level, but I think that's just because I value the shooting a lot. Um, right. And Bridges, I think, was a pretty projectable shooter coming out of college. And Okoro is basically hideous in all of those numbers. So I have a hard time buying into him as, as a potential shooter. Like, I, it's weird to me because Okoro feels like someone who I can't necessarily classify. Like, I think some people think of him as 3 and D, which he's just definitely not because he doesn't shoot it that well. Um, and I can't tell if there's, like, some collection of people who think that he's, like, not this exact player, but, like, the Zaire Smith, like, athletic good defender, maybe that blossoms into someone who can create their own offense type of thing. Um, I think that's definitely what's happening for what it's worth. Yeah. It's like, like a different level because he's 6'6", 230 right. pounds, and actually, like, has the frame to do it. Yeah. I I guess I thought Zaire would be better at that. I mean, obviously, he hasn't played at all, but when he was a prospect, he has more I thought ball skill than Zaire did, too. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I think Zaire was just like a total non-factor on offense whenever yeah. he was at Texas Tech. I, Isaac isn't that. But there, I get the comparison, though. Yeah. I just, that's that's who I, like, am trying to think of when I'm trying to think of, like, where does Okoro fit on the, like, what type of player people expect him to be type thing. And I guess I just don't get there on the, like, he's going to blossom into someone who can create his own offense type of deal. Yeah, And I'm someone who bought that with Zaire, so I don't know. Maybe I think it's I pretty reasonable. Yeah, maybe I um, the So there's like a class of three guys here in Sadiq Bay, Devin Vassell, and Aaron Neesmith, who are all these like three and D guys that are basically at the edge of the lottery for me now. Who are Who is the guy you like best out of that group? I have Devin Vassell the highest of that group right now. But they are all on my board within five spots of one another. So they're relatively interchangeable to me. Um, I think I like Vassell just a little bit better, but I don't have strong feelings in any particular direction. 
I'm not entirely sure where to go with it. I think that I like Bay the best because he's bigger, and I think he's the best shooter of the group. Yeah. Off the catch. I think Devin's probably a better shooter off of pull-ups. Yeah. Um, Neesmith might be the most versatile shooter, but I think he's probably the worst defender of the trio. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So they're all very close, but I think I like Bay because I like his ability to really just defend at an exceedingly uh, high level across the board. Yeah. Do you think there's potentially an argument that Vassal is maybe a better team defender than Bay is? Like, I think it's probably very likely that, the, that, that Sadiq Bay is definitely the best on-ball guy of that group. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think that that's pretty reasonable to say. Um, yeah. I do think that Vassal is a little bit better at uh, getting into gaps, and he's better at coming down and crashing down for a block. I think he can test shots uh, really well as well. Yeah, yeah. But Sadiq is just a lot more switchable. Like, Villanova built its entire defense around Sadiq Bay this year, and when they started to do that, their defense just went through the roof. Like, they were yeah. so much better. Yeah, I mean, Vessel's only listed at, like, 180 pounds, so he definitely has some uh, some weight to put on, I think. But I, I think those two guys are definitely ahead of Neesmith. Um, and then between those two, I think it's a reasonable argument Reasonable minds can disagree about which one of those two guys is better. Yeah, no, I think that that's a good way to put it. Is there someone else? Do you want to do you want to go to anyone else in this class before? Um, we I don't know. I have Devon Dotson way higher than everybody else. That's a thing, and it's not just because I went to Kansas. Kansas, Homer. come on, man, Homer, get this Homer shit out of here. <laughs> I think he's why just are you high good. on why are you high on Devon Dotson? Because he's probably going to shoot, and like I just think he's getting evaluated as though he's not going to shoot. So, like, let's say in three years there is someone who is Fred Van Fleet like in the NBA. I think it's totally possible that it's Devon Dotson. Just like, do you think really he's that level? De- do you think he's that level decision maker and passer? That's a reasonable concern. I don't know that he's there yet. Yeah, um, but I think in terms of defense and the jumper, I think probably yes. And then it's just like, does he grow into being a sufficient enough passer? Like, maybe so. I just think he's a player who's getting evaluated as someone who doesn't shoot because he thought that shot 31% this year. Um, and I think it's really likely that he shoots a pretty high clip from the NBA line. I am not sure of that yet. I'm not sure what to think of it because I think a lot of his shots at the next level are going to be contested because he's so small. He is small. That's definitely true. Um, and, like, I would imagine that you think of him as, like, a very high-level point-of-attack defender. I think he's, like, pretty good. Yeah. I don't think he's, like, elite by any means. That's kind of where I'm at on it, and I worry if there's some diminishing returns on how that works out. Yeah, that's fair. I I do also think, for what it's worth, that, like, he is someone who can get switched on to bigger guys and fights in those spots in ways that a lot of other guards... tenacious as shit. Like, I mean, late in the clock, Kansas would switch one through five, and it was not uncommon for guys to, like, post up Dotson and get the ball dumped down there, and, like, he's not giving up in those spots, which I think is really interesting and useful, so. So here's here's an interesting guy. I, I have Devon Dotson's, like, a borderline first guy. Like, he'll be in my top 40 somewhere sure. for sure. Um, where are you on Jaden McDaniels? I have him 21, which is one spot ahead of Devon Dotson on my board. So we're in the same range here. Um, McDaniels is someone I would like to watch a little bit more of before I make any definitive determinations of him. Like what I've seen is interesting and there's certainly potential there from a shooting perspective. 
and a defense perspective, I guess. But I don't know. I'm That's not the one quite I'm as sold on. Yeah, like I probably just wouldn't draft him. I think. That's aggressive. Like there are just guys that I feel better about drafting. Yeah. Like, would you take him or Jalen Smith? Ooh, that's tough. That's really tough. I think I'd probably still take Jaden McDaniels just because of potential stuff. But like, Jalen Smith got good this year, and is someone that I didn't think was good last year, and so that is a lot more difficult to say now than I think it was. So I think I would take Jalen Smith because I think that he is someone who's actually shown defensive prowess now. Like he's yeah. actually a weak side shot blocker who can knock down shots. And yeah. I don't know if Jaden McDaniels can do either of those things. Now, <laughs> there's a chance that I just, like, miss on this. Sure. But, like, I'm comfortable missing on Jaden McDaniels, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's fair. Like, there are definitely dudes that I would have a similar opinion about and just, like, I'm just not interested in having them on my team. Like, Vernon Carey is one of those guys who I think people view as a first-rounder. And, like, I have him on the board in the first round, but like if I were building a team, that's not the kind of guy that I would want to build my center spot around, for example. Um, right. Like I feel the same way about like Josh Green, right? Yeah. Like I'm not super yeah. interested in Josh Green. Um, and your comparison between Jalen Smith and Jaden McDaniel is really interesting because Smith is like, I don't, is there like a more improved player in college basketball this year than him? Like he got I mean, really, really good. As Buka. Sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but Jalen's up there. Sticks, yeah. like, Sticks got way better. Like, he's someone who legitimately got good. Like, he became a much better defensive rebounder. He became a much better defender from a rim protection standpoint. He started knocking down shots in a way that was consistent. His free throw percentage went up by 8 points, too. So you know that that is probably, like, a more consistent thing than it is just, like, a luck thing this year. Like, he's someone who, I think I had him 27th or something on this board. And, like, looking at it again, it's like he should probably be a little bit higher than that. It depends on if you think he's a tweener or not. Because yeah, he's like not flexible enough through his hips to guard on the perimeter against fours, but he's also like good enough offensively as a shooter to play him next to his center, and good enough as a weak side rim protector defensively to play next to like a smaller center. If you will. sure, yeah, there's just so many dudes in this draft who are bad that it's <laughs> it's like who it's else? Xavier Tillman. Yeah, like, I have him twenty eight. Really he's pretty good. good. Yeah, he's good at all of the basketball things. Like, Yeah, just take him. He'll be in the NBA for a decade. Just be happy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, right, man. I'm gonna run, a bad draft. I'm going to run some names by you, and we're going to go kind of rapid fire before we get out of here. Okay. Uh, Jemias Ramsey. An interesting shot creator in the place where he's likely to go. Like, someone who can generate his own offense that you usually don't find the pick in, like, the late teens, early 20s. He's either going to be really, really good, or he's going to be, like, out of the NBA, I think. Yeah. Um, like, the, the margin for error is very thin yeah. because he basically has to be an elite shooter at the NBA level. Otherwise, it's he just doesn't do anything else. No, he doesn't do anything else. And I was just about to say the number to watch there is that he shot 64% from the foul line this year, which is atrocious and not – Yeah, and if <laughs> doesn't you look at well. numbers – if yeah. you look at his pull-up numbers, they're also pretty bad. Yeah, that's a concern. Grant Riller. Uh, someone who's really interesting to me is a shot creator and, again, someone who generates a lot of value for the position where he will likely be drafted. But he's also, what, 23 years old? And so yeah. – and there's just, like, this big cluster. I feel like this is starting to happen, by the way, every single year where there's this big cluster of dudes, like, from 25 to 40 or 45 who are just, like – 
point guards who might be viable backup options. <laughs> and there are right. piles of them in this draft. And I feel like that's just become true in every single draft. And maybe it's the, like that. those guys should change valuations and we should think some of those guys are way better than they are or just way more replaceable than we think they are. The next guy is another one of those guys, Nico Mannion. Um, I would have Nico slightly higher than that just because I think that the like pull-up game is potentially better and the basketball IQ stuff is potentially better, although I have him 20, so like not significantly higher than that. The fact that he basically generates no offense at the rim is really concerning. There's that, and I'm going to give you another number. Nico Mannion had zero blocks this season. <laughs> like That's zero. an issue. I wonder. I'm sure that you could run the numbers on guys who have his, you know, oh, I have. statistics and then no blocks, and, like, it's probably just nobody gets good. Um, yeah, so there's never <laughs> been a player selected in the first round or maybe yeah. even in the top 40 with zero blocks during a season. Well, this season got cut short, so you know the blocks were coming, so. <laughs> I, I limited it to, like, minutes played, like, however many minutes sure. played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's super um, hard to find dudes who don't get a block at all. I think Ben Rubin yeah. wrote something about that at one point a couple of years ago, and it was just, like, so hard to find anyone who's good in the NBA who didn't have a block in college. Right. Um, let's go with – are you on the Tyrell Terry bandwagon? Uh, not yet, but I think that's mostly just because I haven't watched enough of him to be on that okay. bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, Alexei Pokyshevsky. Also someone I probably haven't watched enough of to make, like, definitive yeah. claims about. Um, both guys that I would have in the, like, early second round right now. Uh, Io Desunmu. He's interesting to me. Again, someone who I think has probably more shot creation than someone who would typically be drafted as that position would. Um, shot it super terribly this year, though. Uh, but yeah. the numbers look like he should be better at that. And so, yeah, interesting in that early second round space. Kyra Lewis. Oh, he's interesting. Um, definitely one of the guys who is in that point guard grouping who can generate a lot of offense, has some pull-up ability, which is probably why he's a little bit more valuable than some of the other guys in that range. I worry about a couple of things. I worry about the decision-making, and I worry about – because he turns it over a ton. Yeah. Uh, he has like a 1.4 assist turnover or something like that, 1.35. And I worry about the slightness of build. He's just very skinny. Yeah, like, he's real small. Really, He's going to get attacked defensively every single time. And then additionally, when people just look at the counting numbers that he has, it's like 18 points, five rebounds, six <laughs> assists. Like, it's all this stuff. But they play the fastest pace in the country. Yeah, yeah. He's someone who you probably should look at, like, per 100 stats for to get a better idea of where he fits in relative to other people. Right. I agree. Can I, um, can I ask you about the guys in this range? Yeah, I have him as a first-rounder, but I'm not quite as high as some others. Yes, ask. Cassius Stanley and Jared <laughs> Butler. So I'm a little bit lower on Butler than what everyone else is because okay. I don't think he's a great defender, and I don't think he is a great shot creator. I think he's a great shot maker, but I worry yeah. about him actually creating shots at the next Okay, level. that's a fair concern. Um, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, like I have him somewhere like 50s, 60s. Okay. I'm like 45, so like not high. But Cassius Stanley, I have as like a top 40 guy. Um, they'll I know he shot 36 percent or 37 percent from three or whatever, but I don't buy the mechanics right now. 
uh, yeah. stepping out behind the NBA line. It's just a straight line three-point shot, sure. and the ball like comes out like from right in front of his head. I don't think that's going to translate all that well. Now, just a fucking freak show athlete. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, I, there is a chance he ends up as like a late first-round grade for me as I like go back and like really hone in on, right. okay, is he an elite-level defender potentially, or is he just a good defender? Um, or is he like an average defender? And I'm, I missed this whenever I was looking at Duke because like I really need to like lock in and look at him and make some calls. Now, I think he plays really hard. I think that he does all of the little things, like he gets on the floor. You know, if I'm Oklahoma City and I tend to value these guys, like that's a guy I'm looking at. You know? Yeah, I have him 41. I kind of wonder if I should have him slightly higher just because, like, he so obviously hangs at the NBA level from an athleticism standpoint. Uh, yeah. And I just, like, wonder if he is someone who I, I should be higher on than, than I am because I think that, like, I think a lot of people are just turned off by the fact that he's, like, 20 years old already and Yeah, whatever, I don't really but, care about that. I know, but. I'm, like, not, I'm not as I'm worried about it. I should <laughs> yeah, I yeah. He's just someone who I think is really interesting and, like, could come up in the whatever version of the pre-draft process exists this year. Yeah, like Killian Tilly is another. Like I am the more that I watch Gonzaga because I went back and like really watched Gonzaga because I kind of got told by people to play Gonzaga this year. Like, dude, go back and watch Joel Ayayi. He's just not that good, and <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> Joel is like nowhere near where I had him because I had yeah. him at like forty or so, and sure. that's just like not true. Like he he needs to be way down the board and he should stay in school. Um, but the guy that I kept looking at whenever I watched Gonzaga was just like, holy shit, Killian Tilly is incredible. He's so good he at basketball. So good at basketball. <laughs> he does everything. Yeah. He does everything except stay on the floor with his health. Yeah. He is an incredible passer. Like when San Francisco would press them in the times that they played Gonzaga this year, if Ryan Woolridge was out, like, it wasn't Joel Ayayi breaking the press. It was Killing Tilly breaking yeah. the press. Like, he's an incredible passer. He's an elite-level shooter who shot, like, 44% from three. Like, I would happily take him in the first round if I had any faith about his health. Yeah, he's so good. And he's been so good for so many years and just, like... I think after his sophomore year was when people kind of jumped on the bandwagon of, like, this guy's really, really good and could be an NBA I'm, prospect. I'm pretty sure that I had him as a first-round grade heading into his sophomore year. Yeah, I remember a lot of people. I think I was pretty high on him, too. Everybody just, like, thought he was really good, and then he just kept coming back to school and couldn't stay healthy, and now it's like, well, what do you do with that? All right, I want you to give me – do we want to talk about Luca Garza real quick and why he's, like, not a real prospect <laughs> I mean, we can, I guess. I think I, it's hilarious to me that he's winning National Player of the Year awards. I just, it I is I, – I do not really get it, to be honest. Like, yeah. he is incredible offensively as a scorer. I totally understand that bit of it. And he did play the biggest role in Iowa having a top five offense this year. The sure. problem is that he's also the biggest reason why – they had the third worst defense in the Big 12 or the Big 10, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, defense is a thing that matters. He's not a Carl Anthony Towns quality offensive player, and so it's hard to think of that person as a real prospect. That is the succinct answer, I feel like. Like is there a chance that he is Ennis Cantor? Maybe, I guess. <laughs> I don't You know how you were like I wouldn't draft Jaden McDaniels. I wouldn't draft anyone who could turn out to be Ennis Cantor. 
It's yeah, like it's just not my kind of guy. Like yeah, what Iowa fans like neglect to look at is I'm not sure they understand like the context of Iowa's defense, where like because they had to cover for Garza, it was often like these same size, same side like help defenders having to help off their man, and sure. it just would hemorrhage three point shots. And then oftentimes they had to go into playing a zone. And whenever they went into zone, they just were a bad zone team. And they had to go into zone because Garza is not good enough in ball screen coverages. He would just get murdered at the next level against elite level point guards. And like, I feel bad because like he's worked really hard and has gotten to the point where he is. But like, I think he's just like a great European prospect that if I was like red star in Serbia, I would be like, Backing up the Brinks truck for Luca Garza, <laughs> yeah. but like I don't know, man, I, I can't really get there with him. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. He is someone who would make a lot of money playing in Europe, and that's totally good. Like there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But he is not someone that I would be particularly interested in at an NBA level. Who is someone under the radar that you are interested in? Ooh, uh. Trying to just scroll up and down the board here. Desmond Bain is someone I'm interested in in the second round. I think like I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah, just like a hundred percent likely to shoot it really well and big enough to be a good defender. By the way, that's like not a totally uh, prevalent opinion that he's like yeah. a guaranteed shooter. And I mean, I went back like he shot forty three point four. I think it is from three yeah, over the course insane. of his four years. And it was over like 600 attempts, right? Yeah. So like we're talking about a ridiculous. I'm like, that's ridiculous to not think he's going to be able to shoot it. I think. But the mechanics are just what they are. Like they're so funky. But I think I agree with you. And he's really developed his ball skills and passing ability. Yeah. Uh, I kind of think he has a real chance to stick. Did you watch him? I think it was the Baylor game at the end of the season when they beat Baylor. He is. Uh, he was awesome in that game. Like just down the stretch, it's just that. totally insane. Hitting yeah, ball he, threes, he, like he just went crazy. And it's just like that guy's that guy's obviously good. Just so obviously good. <laughs> I think that what I was most excited about in that game was Freddie Gillespie, looking back on it, because that was his like eighteen seventeen game. Yeah. And I think Freddie Gillespie is also like a sneaky NBA prospect that yeah. like nobody is talking about. Uh, he was a monster defensively. Like everyone talks about Davion Mitchell and Mark Vital. You go back and watch Baylor games, like Gillespie is the guy that unlocks being able to what they being able to do what they want to do yeah. on defense because yeah. he's so switchable, so athletic, while also being a great rim protector. Um, really Vital's great too, and Davion Mitchell's awesome. That it was just a really, really good defensive team, and I don't mean to. Uh, take credit away from anyone on that team defensively, but I think Gillespie is the one that deserved the defensive player of the year hype instead of Vital and Mitchell. And yet another example of college basketball media just having no fucking clue what they're looking <laughs> at on defense. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair worry. <laughs> but yeah, Desmond Bain's on my list there. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. it's, uh, people, they uh, get attracted to certain things. Get attracted to certain things defensively. The last thing that I want to bring up before we get out of here is sure. Marcus Howard. Okay. I really feel like we did not appreciate Marcus Howard enough in college. I mean, he was really good and really fun. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he was super, super good. 
and it's hard to imagine anybody like, who scored as well as he did over the last, like, three years, probably. But Marcus Howard <laughs> averaged 27.8 points per game on a 59 true shooting percentage while shooting, I, I believe it was, like, 38% from three in conference. So, like, he even fell off a little bit in conference from three and still averaged 29 points a game. Like, he got better in Big East play uh, in terms of shooting or in terms of, like, points per game, slightly worse in terms of efficiency. Miles Powell is up for Naismith Player of the Year and is one Big East Player of the Year when he shot 26% from three and averaged, like, seven points per game less in conference play. Yeah. In uh, what world? Like, Yeah, Miles Powell we, lived off that early start to the season for a while. He did, and I think it's unfair, and I feel really bad for Howard because his season, because of partly because of Marquette's swoon to end the year, like oh, this yeah. is not all um, unwarranted, right, in terms of Marcus Howard maybe yeah, yeah, not yeah. being up for National Player of the Year, but I know for damn sure he was better than Miles Powell. And, yeah. I mean, like, if we're talking about all-offense player, I think he had a better year than Luca Garza. Just from offensive perspective, yeah, I think that's probably true. I will also I mean, say man, he's less Miles harmful Powell. defensively. Sure, yeah, I, I think it does kind of seem like right Miles Powell got bad because he got hurt, like, or at least it seemed correlated to when he got hurt. So, yeah, that's great. I mean, he was hurt, no question. I think there's no. Yeah, doubt no, no, no. I just mean like we're putting a lot into Howard versus Powell, and it's like eh, Powell did also get hurt during this time. I think yeah. Howard was like certainly a better. Um, score from that perspective. I agree with you that, like, from an offense perspective, he was better than Luca Garza, too. And just, like, from an overall, like, I think he's a better player this year than Luca Garza. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you jumped in on the Peyton Pritchard bandwagon yet as well? But I, I, wait, before I get into I, I said we were going to finish on Howard, and I will yeah. finish on Howard after we talk about Pritchard. But are you in on the Peyton Pritchard bandwagon? Not yet. I don't think. I don't know. He's old and. I don't know that I buy his ability to score at the NBA level like some other people seem to. I think he's a little shiftier than what I thought going yeah. back and watching some tape. Like, I think he has a shot. But we talk about like Peyton Pritchard as first-team All-American. We talk about Miles Powell as first-team All-American. We talk about um, Malachi Flynn as a first-team All-American, right? And, like, yeah. again, I think all those guys are deserving of being on All-American teams. Devon Dotson as well. Marcus Howard averaged 10 more points per game than Devon Dotson this year. <laughs> yeah. And he did it on true. better efficiency. Yeah, yeah. He is really good from an offense perspective. I think like... He averaged 10 more points per game. <laughs> That's so many. Yeah. I mean, he is ridiculous. He is one of the best scorers that I think I've seen come through college basketball in the last couple of, you know, the last half a decade or whatever. Maybe I did a study that. on it last year when talking about his pre-draft stuff, and he's definitely the best pull-up shooter that college basketball has seen since Stephen Curry. Yeah, he's ridiculous. If he had three inches of height, he'd be the most fun NBA prospect. Yeah, and he's 5'11", and I, I really hope he gets a shot. I am super excited, and I, I really hope he gets his chance because that kid was not nearly appreciated enough at the college level, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Chris? Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people uh, what you've got going on in your life. You know, what, what are you watching on TV in the middle of our quarantine? I watched Office Space the other day. <laughs> I'm very caught up culturally. Um, For the watched, first time? No, 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 no. I just I watched say. it. <laughs> uh, I watched McMillions recently. That's very good. 
Agent Dog is the character. We oh, man. Him. That story just like – so I'd read the article about it a couple years ago, but the the visuals don't work without Agent Dog at all. He's just a, an absolute gem, um, and if you want something to ruin your childhood a little bit, uh, checking out McMillions is definitely worth it. Agent Dog is the <laughs> character of the year. I want Agent Dog nominated for an Emmy. Can we have Agent Doug be the FBI agent that shuts down the Kansas title situation? Oh, my God, please. please. <laughs> that is the only way that I will give a shit about Kansas sanctions is that yeah. Agent Doug is the one shutting down Kansas basketball for the rest of time. And you damn well better believe he would shut down Kansas basketball for the end of history. Is it the gold suit? You can show up in that, too. Oh, yeah. my God. That'd be good. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I've got here. Uh, do you, please tell the people where they can find your work, Chris. Uh, they can find my work at sportingnews.com, uh, or on Twitter at Seastone Hoops. Uh, there will be much more draft coverage in the coming months, assuming, you know, that's when the draft happens. I've got a mock draft coming on Thursday, folks. So please go look for that at The Athletic. Go subscribe to The Athletic. Keep us employed over there. We're going to have a lot of content coming up over there in the next couple of months as we deal without a sports uh, games world, at least. So um, I think that's all I got. We'll probably be back later this week. I'm going to try and start doing three podcasts a week. But uh, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.